Oh, my pie is ready. Hey, Brains On! Two of the world's most rad celebrity chefs here. Me, Griff Jenkins. Yeah! <laughs> and Kathy from Cooking with Kathy. You might be asking yourself, why are there so many chefs on a science podcast? Well, Brains On is no ordinary show. We find science everywhere. In baking bread. Oh, look, my bread is ready. Or in elevators. Or slime. Or in molecular bonds. Actually, that one's kind of already science. Yeah, I probably should have. Maybe another example? Right. Uh, oh, we find science in farts. Check it. <laughs> oh, excuse me. My bean and broccoli casserole is ready. Jeez. How much are you cooking right now? Just a few things to snack on. Anyway, no matter what you're curious about, we can help you find the science behind it. Understanding science not only helps you go far in life, it's also totally righteous. So, oh, the cupcakes. So, because learning about the world is important to you... Oh, right, the pizza. Where was I? Oh, yeah, because learning is important, please support... Can you take out the chicken griff? Please support Brains On with a gift of any amount to keep the show going. Excuse me, I think something's burning. Can you take over? No problemo. To support the show, just go to brainson.org slash donate. You can get a rad color-changing water bottle or Brains On headphones. And don't forget, donating to Brains On is tax-deductible, brah. Saving on tax day is boss. <laughs> so once again, that's brainson.org slash donate. Thanks! Griff, bring the fire extinguisher. You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. Welcome to the third installment of our Brains On Electricity series. In the third event in the Electric Games! Today, two thinkers, two experimenters, take it to the mat, the gym mat. They will hurdle themselves down the floor and over the vaulting horse, powered only by the steam of their ideas. Will they stick the landing? Will they impress the judges? First with an attempt is Luigi Galvani! You guys, this cool thing happened when I was dissecting a frog. His leg jerked even though he was dead. It made me think we have electricity flowing through our tissue. <laughs> Animal electricity. Very interesting and very unexpected. Next up, Alessandro Volta. Yeah, that leg jerked. But it was because of the metal in your knife. No animal tissue necessary. I can create current just using metal. What? Amazing! And he sticks the landing! What will the judges say? Who is right? Stay tuned!
listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and my co-host for this electricity series is Habte Martone. Hi, Habte. I'm electrified to be here at my favorite, favorite, favorite podcast. Do you get it electrified? (laughs) (laughs) That's good. So far in our series, we've talked static electricity and current electricity, and today is all about batteries. As you just heard, the story of batteries starts with two scientists— Luigi Galvani and Alessandro Volta. Luigi Galvani was a professor of anatomy in Bologna. That's me. I'm Luigi. And, as you do in anatomy, he spent a good amount of time dissecting frogs. That means he was looking at the insides of frogs that were no longer alive. What? You want me to do it when the frog is still alive? And like lots of scientists of his time, he was very interested in electricity. Have you seen my electrostatic generator? And how about my sweet Leiden jar here? And and, and check this out. If I touch this frog's nerve with a scissors during a lightning storm, the frog's leg twitches. It's like, it's alive! It's alive! But it's not. It's most certainly dead. He did many experiments with electricity and frogs and eventually published his findings, announcing a new force called animal Animal electricity. electricity. So you might be saying to yourself, sure, hearing about frog dissections and electricity is awesome, but what did that have to do with batteries? That's where I come in. That's Alessandro Volta. Alessandro Giuseppe Antonio Anastasio Volta. He was also an Italian scientist. An Italian scientist who did not agree with Galvani's idea. I do not agree. So he set out to prove that this current had nothing to do with the animal and everything to do with the metals involved. I call it metallic electricity. He experimented with different metals and was able to generate a weak current. There weren't any instruments to help detect it. So I used my tongue. That doesn't sound safe. Oh, and let me tell you about this experiment. I got four people together. The first put his finger on the second's tongue. The second put their finger on the third's eyeball. And the third and fourth held either side of a skinned, gutted frog. Then the first held a piece of zinc and the last held a piece of silver. When the two metals touched, the second person had a weird acid taste on their tongue. The third had a flash in their eye, and the frog twitched pretty violently. Nifty, huh? And all thanks to the metals. Okay, then. Then Volta moved on to making piles of metals. Okay, get this. I made stacks of alternating zinc and silver discs. Zinc, Silver. Zinc. Silver. You get the picture. And between each disc was a piece of cloth or paper or leather soaked in salt water or vinegar. That moisture was inspired by the moisture on our tongues, in our eyeballs, or in a frog. I noticed some moisture was needed. Sure, call it frog juice. Whatever. But it worked. My piles generated a steady current. These became known as voltaic piles. The discovery rocked the scientific world, and Galvani's ideas were quietly pushed aside for a time. And you know the term volt? Yep. Named after Alessandro Volta. Alessandro Giuseppe Antonio Anastasio Volta. But the disagreement between Volta and Galvani was not ferocious. In fact, Volta named the phenomenon of electricity produced by chemical action galvanism after Galvani. And he once wrote that Galvani's work contains one of the most beautiful and and surprising discoveries and the seed for many others. And it turned out that Galvani was right, too. There is electricity in our bodies. 
But we'll have to wait until the next episode to hear more about that. Stay tuned. Brains on. So with the voltaic pile, Volta invented batteries, but how exactly do they work? Here to explain is Brains On producer Sandon Totten. Batteries are great. You pop a couple in, say, your flashlight, and bam, you have portable light in your pocket with a portable energy source. So long, wires. But lots of you want to know how these things actually work. My name is Aurora from Houston, Texas. My name is Andrean. I'm from California. My name is Sophia from Scotch Plains, New Jersey. How do batteries have that much energy inside when they are so little? How do batteries make things work? What is inside a battery? Okay, I want you to picture your typical AA battery. One end has a plus sign, the other a minus sign, positive and negative. Now, those aren't just there to show you how to put the battery in your flashlight. Let's zoom in and see what's inside. At each end of the battery is something called an electrode. The electrodes contain metals. The one on the positive side is called the cathode, and the one on the negative side is called the anode. When the battery gets charged, the metal atoms from the cathode become positive. At the same time, the charging makes the anode become negative. So the positive metal atoms from the cathode, they move to the negatively charged anode because opposites attract. Positive likes to find negative. And since those cathode atoms have a positive charge, they also attract negatively charged electrons, you know, to balance themselves out. So now you have these pairs, these positively charged atoms with their newfound electrons hanging out, all of them in the negatively charged anode. And it stays like this until you turn on your device. That makes them want to go back to their home, the cathode. But the problem is, in a battery, there's an electrolyte, or a paste or liquid, in between them and their home. Now, the positive atom can just go right through that electrolyte, no problem. But the electron can't. So, the electron is forced to take the long way back to the cathode, through a circuit outside the battery. And as the electron passes through that circuit on its way back to the cathode, it creates electricity, and that powers the device. Now, I know this is kind of hard to picture, so let's imagine it like this. In this scenario, you are the atom. Your normal resting state is at home. It's like the positively charged cathode. Now, let's say you get all charged up by eating a bowl of sugary cereal. Now, you're in a positive mood and you want to go out and play. So, you head out to the playground on the other side of the lake. The playground is the anode. So there's you, swinging on the swings, sliding on the slide, enjoying life. And since you're so positive, you attract a dog. One who's all alone, feeling negative. Remember, opposites attract. This dog is like that stray electron that joins the positive cathode atom. And the two of you quickly become a pair. So you're playing, you're having a good time, but when it's time for you to go home to that nice, cozy cathode, the most direct route for you is to swim right through that lake. You're a great swimmer, no problem. That poor stray dog you just met, he can't swim at all. He's forced to go around the lake in order to get your house. On the way back, he does some work. He chases a few squirrels out of Mrs. Goldstein's garden. He eats some garbage on the sidewalk that was just kind of cluttering things up. Now it's clean. Awesome. And he provides a boost to everyone who sees him. Aww. Because who doesn't love seeing a dog? They're the best. 
Okay, so the two of you meet back at home, you snuggle into bed. Now imagine the same thing happening over and over again with lots of kids, lots of dogs, over and over really fast, and you've kind of got the idea of how a battery works. Speaking of the battery, once all of those positively charged atoms of metal and their partner electrons have made it back to the cathode, your battery's all out of energy. Just like you and your new dog at the end of the day. And kind of like me right now. So I'm going to take off. Bye, guys. Okay, Hobde, are your ears all charged up and ready to go? Yep. It's time for the mystery sound. Here it is. Okay, what is your guess? A mix of an electric saw saw and a drill. Excellent guess. We are going to be back with the answer later in the show. Hey everyone, the next Brains On Debate is coming soon. And we need your opinions. And we know you have them. Which is cooler? Dolphins or octopuses? Dun, dun, dun! We know they're both really cool, but you have to pick just one. Record your thoughts and send them to hello at brainson.org and make sure you tell us why you think dolphins or octopuses are more awesome. You could also send questions, mystery sounds, and drawings to that same email address. Hello at brainson.org. Can't wait to hear your dolphin and octopus thoughts. You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Hopde Martone. And I'm Molly Bloom. Even though batteries have been around for hundreds of years, there are new things happening with them all the time. In our last episode, we heard how storing electricity generated by renewable sources like wind and solar is a problem. This is where batteries come in. To find out how scientists are working to store clean sources of energy, we have Melanie Sanford here. She's a chemistry professor from the University of Michigan. Hi, Melanie. Hi, Hop Day. Why isn't everything powered with solar panels? So the reason that everything isn't powered with solar panels is mainly because the sun doesn't shine all the time. It can't actually, you know, take in energy and then and then uh, power things when the sun isn't shining, unless you connect it to some kind of energy storage device or a battery. How do people build batteries? So, well, the kind of batteries that, that, um, that I study are made up of molecules. The scientists that work in my lab can uh, make sort of in the same way that you sort of put things together with Legos. And so what the scientists in my lab do is take the different elements from the periodic table and snap them together kind of like Legos to build molecules that have the properties that they can store energy in a battery. Cool. What type of molecules can store energy? Well, actually, lots of molecules can store energy. So, so you know that electricity is sort of electrons flowing through you know, wires, right? And so basically what you're doing with the molecules that we're working with is actually taking those electrons from the, um, from the wire and actually directly injecting them into the molecule. And then when we want to get them back later, we actually pull those electrons out of the molecule to release the energy into the, into the circuit. So, so we're designing molecules that are specifically designed that they can take those electrons, that electricity, and actually directly store it, you know, store those electrons in them. Nice. Yeah, so it's pretty sweet. It's pretty cool. 
But you can imagine that when you inject an electron into a molecule, things can go horribly wrong. And so if you don't design your molecule right, the molecule can basically explode, and then you can't store any more energy in it because it's, it's gone. So that's bad. Kaboom, it exploded. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't explode literally, but the molecule basically, all, you know, it's like if you took your Lego and you smashed it, all the bonds break and the atom, you know, is, or the, the atoms are, are kind of blown apart and so you can't store any more energy. Why are there different types and sizes of batteries? So that's a great question. Um, so the reason that there are different types and sizes of batteries is because people need batteries for different things. Let's say you have a cell phone. You would want a battery for a cell phone that would be really light, right? And you would want it to be able to store a relatively small amount of energy because it just has to power a phone, which is a pretty small device, right? In contrast, if you, had a, if you wanted a battery that would power your whole house, right? It wouldn't matter if it was light because you don't have to carry that battery around all the time, right? That would just be sitting in one place. But you'd want it to be able to store a lot of energy because your house uses way more energy than your phone. And so the kind of battery that you might want for a, a phone or a car that would be light and um, wouldn't store that much energy would be really different. You could use it, make it out of really different um, materials or molecules than the kind of battery that would, um, that would power your house, for example. Why do batteries fill up? The reason that batteries fill up is because, um, so like, like, remember I was telling you that, um, that we are storing energy in these molecules, right, that can, um, you know, can accept an electron. And so you can only store as much energy as you have molecules. So the great thing about being able to store is that, you know, so if you have a solar panel in your house during the day, you can power your house with a solar panel at night you have to use electricity from the, the electrical grid. In principle, if you have a battery, you could store all the excess energy from the sun that's generated during the day, use it to power your house at night, and then you never have to use the electrical grid at all. So it makes you completely independent, potentially, from the electrical grid because it sort of levels out, um, you know, or, or it allows you to capture energy that's in excess during the day and then use it at, at night. So this idea seems like so, like, yes, of course you would store it in a battery. So like, why hasn't it been able to happen yet? Well, yeah, so the challenge is we don't have batteries that are really good for this, right? Most of the battery research that we've done has been focused on batteries for like a computer, right? Or batteries for a, um, for a, for a cell phone or batteries for a car. That's been the, the major emphasis in battery research over the last 30 years. And those kind of devices, they need different things than you would need for storing you know, this huge amount of solar energy, right? You know, the amount of energy that needs to be stored is way, way more. And because of that, you need to have lots and lots and lots of these batteries. And so you need the batteries to be really cheap. And they second have to be really, really stable. And you need to be able to charge them and then, you know, get the energy back and charge them and get the energy back many, 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 many thousands of times. Whereas with a cell phone, after a couple of years, that battery dies and you just throw that out and get a, get a new cell phone. So how close do you think we are to being able to have that kind of battery? So there are some, there, there are a number of, of, of batteries that are sort of being piloted for this kind of application. So, and the challenge there is that although there are these sort of small, you know, installations of these batteries, the materials that are currently used, basically the molecules that are currently used to store those electrons, what they're made of uh, an element called vanadium. And there's not enough vanadium on the planet. And so we need to do research to make the molecules better, cheaper, 
more stable, storing more energy, um, so that you could actually do this on the scale that you would need to, to put batteries like this everywhere. Thanks, Melanie. Bye. Great. Thanks a lot. Yeah, it was really fun. Okay, Hobte, so you ready to go back to the mystery sound again? Yeah. All right, let's hear it. Any new thoughts? My thought is that it's definitely either a, the, a drill or a mechanical saw. Excellent guess. Well, here is the answer. That was the sound of a cordless circular saw. It's powered by a rechargeable 18-volt battery. I use the circular saw for woodworking, cutting straight lines on things like plywood or cutting pieces of 2x4s down. It's really nice to have a tool that's battery-powered because in case of a saw that if you had a cord on it, you'd only be able to go 3-4 feet. But if you have a battery on it, you can take it wherever you need to cut something. So, Hobte, that's amazing. You got the mystery sound totally right. How did you know? It sounded like a mix of a drill and a saw, so I thought of mechanical saw. So smart. So actually, that person revealing the mystery sound was my husband, Andy. So thanks, Andy. Have, do you have any batteries in your life that are rechargeable batteries? On phones. Well, that circular saw and your phone is rechargeable thanks to lithium-ion batteries. And lithium-ion batteries are really, really cool. Here to tell us why they're so cool is reporter Emily Allen. Do you know what a lithium-ion battery is? You should. After all, you're using one, aren't you? If you're listening to us on your phone, your iPad, or your computer, all of those are powered by lithium-ion batteries. There are many types of batteries. The battery in your car is different than the battery in your toy. The battery in your computer is different than the battery in your smoke alarm. But let's focus on the coolest battery of all, lithium-ion batteries. These batteries are special because they're light and they can be really small, so you can carry them around. But most importantly, you're also able to recharge lithium batteries, so things like your phone will last a lot longer than just a couple of hours. Here's how it works. A lithium ion is a lithium atom that's missing an electron. That missing electron gives it a positive charge. An atom with a charge is called an ion, hence the name lithium-ion battery. Energy comes from taking the extra electron off the atom. So, lithium is good at producing energy because it's really good at losing electrons. Once you've taken all the electrons off the ions, you have no more power. So, time to recharge. When you're charging the lithium-ion battery in your phone, the process is being reversed. Electrons are reattaching to atoms, so the atoms can become ions and lose electrons all over again. But Dr. Prashant Jain thinks lithium-ion batteries can be way better. I'm an associate professor of chemistry and also at the materials research lab at the University of Illinois. Remember the parts of the battery we talked about earlier? There's the anode, the cathode, and an electrolyte. In lithium-ion batteries, the electrolyte is a liquid. 
Liquids are great because they let ions flow through them easily, but eventually the liquid dries up and the battery just doesn't work anymore. That's usually after a couple of years of charging and recharging your phone, so you have to just get a new battery. But wouldn't it be cool if they just lasted longer? We are designing special solids that even though they have the mechanical strength and the structural uh, uh, properties of a solid, yet they selectively allow liquids to travel through them as if the lithium was in a liquid. So they are special. They combine the best of both worlds, the strength of a solid and the ability to allow lithium to go through them as if they were liquids. Prashant says these are called super ionic solids. If you were to look at them, you'd think that they were like any other uh, solid, that, uh, solid powder that you've seen. Uh, but down at the atomic level, they are different. It's a solid that has a split personality. Half of the solid is mechanically strong and stable and doesn't move around the anions. And the other half, the cations, can move around as if they are a liquid. Prashant says researchers still have a long way to go when it comes to replacing liquid electrolytes with solids. For one, superionic solids only work when they're really hot. Like, 150 degrees Celsius hot. But they're working hard because replacing this liquid electrolyte might mean our phones and our computers can last a lot longer and be safer. And if we make lithium-ion batteries safer, one day they might even power electric cars, which are better for the environment. Imagine um, that instead of having uh, vehicles that run on uh, gasoline, we all had electrical vehicles. Uh, that performed as well as our gasoline vehicle. So that little lithium-ion battery in your phone? It might just be powering bigger things like cars in the near future. And saving the planet, too. Batteries let us take electricity with us. They do this by converting chemical energy to electrical energy. A battery is basically made of an anode, cathode, and electrolyte. Electrons flow from the anode to the cathode, but the electrolyte forces them to take the long way. And providing us with electricity on the way. That's it for this episode of Brains On. Brains On is produced by Mark Sanchez, Sandin, Totten, and Molly Bloom. We had production help this week from John Lambert, Lauren D., and Emily Allen, and engineering help from Cameron Wiley, Johnny Vince Evans, Ryan Roberts, and Mike Wood. Many thanks to Rahel Haile, Emily Ryan, Susan Odom, Becky Burnett, James Delbergo, Eric Ringham, and Curtis Gilbert. You can keep up with us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at brains underscore on. And we're on Facebook, too. And if you like the show, please consider leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. It helps people find out about the show and sends 10,000 volts of joy through our hearts. And the show wouldn't be possible without the questions, drawings, and mystery sounds that you sent to us. We thank all the kids that shared their ideas by adding them to the Brains Honor Roll. Here's the latest group. Liam from Big Lake, Minnesota, Avery and Foster from Brooklyn, Amelia from Kingston, Ontario, Asa from Portland, Oregon, Emily and Andrew from Redmond, Washington, Henry from Santa Monica, California, Molly from Colonial Heights, Virginia, Nico from Portland, Oregon, Allison from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Julia and Jack from Snowmass Village, Colorado, Ethan from Walpole, Massachusetts, Cora from West Point, Utah, Annalise and Beatrice from Honey Oy Falls, New York, Sarah from Berwick, Australia, Jojo from Minneapolis, Yara from New York City, Ishan from Tenafly, New Jersey, Eli from Vancouver, Washington, Gus from New Zealand, Aaron from Austin, Texas, Jack and Kyle. 
Kaya from Cavan, Ontario, Glory from Shanghai, China, Aisha and Iman from Fremont, California, Brendan and Evan from Pullman, Washington, Margot from Santa Monica, California, Cohen and Eli from Ancaster, Ontario, Chase and Zoe from Oxford, Pennsylvania, Noah and Ezra from Marlboro, New Jersey, Ella and Nina from Atlanta, Josh from Baltimore, Asher from Arlington, Massachusetts, Neil from Charlotte, North Carolina, Brenna and Micah from Gladys, Virginia, Addie, Elle and Bentley from Madison, Mississippi, Ingram from Barrington, Rhode Island, Vihan from Edison, New Jersey, Lucas from Hicksville, New York, Eli from Copa Vogar, Iceland, Ava from Melbourne, Australia, and Layan from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. We'll be back next week to talk about bioelectricity, the electricity that comes from our bodies. You're electric. It's super cool. Until then, thanks for listening. Yeah, listen.